Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. We're in part three this morning of our series, Bones in the Bible. The Bible has got so much to say about bones. A lot of talk about bones. And the, the, the sermon this morning is entitled, The Valley of dry bones. I want to talk to you about, to begin with here, one of, I would say, the most depressing and even one of the most frightening words in the English language. You know what that is? Hopelessness. Hopelessness. History is just full of examples of hopeless situations, but in the hands of God, hopeless situations are really just opportunities for God to reveal Himself in our lives. Do you believe that? Maybe some of you have, many of you have probably experienced that in your life. God sometimes allows what we think are, are just hopeless conditions to, in, in, to exist in our lives, and, and during those times is when He often calls us close to Him. And these hopeless what we think are hopeless times in our lives, they help us see uh, our need, our real need for God and the hope that He offers to us. In fact, if history teaches us anything, it teaches us that what seems hopeless today, tomorrow can be full of hope. Even in the natural realm, we have experienced this. You know, it wasn't that many years ago that simple infections were killing people by the thousands. When I say that many years ago, 100 years ago. Who was around 100 years ago? <laughs> you know, 100 years ago, you cut your finger on an old rusty nail and infection set in, and chances were 50-50 if you were going to live through that. And because we didn't have a knowledge of antibiotics and all this, you know, today we cut our finger or something, we get a scratch, we pull out the first aid kit, put a little antibiotic cream on there, wrap it in a band-aid, and we forget about it, right? It's done. It's, just, it's more of a nuisance to us than anything else. And yet, not that long ago, it created hopeless situations in people's lives. It wasn't that many years ago, people that had bad hearts were just given up as hopeless as that heart just continued to fail. Today, new hearts can be placed in people and given restoring life for them for, for a lot of years. Years ago, this is something relatively new we figured out. Years ago, a drowning victim in a cold lake or cold water was, man, they were just, if they'd been underwater for more than a few minutes, that was it. And now we know that these victims who can be revived after being underwater for up to an hour in really cold water. And it reminded me of this story. How many, how many of you are from up north? I'm from up north. So you may relate to this more than just people from the south. But there were these three men in a fishing boat out on Lake Michigan early spring. I mean, the ice had just thawed, but that water was cold. Three of these guys in a fishing boat. One of them, his name was Bob. He's leaning over, and Bob falls into the water. And he doesn't come up, and he doesn't come up. And pretty soon, one of the guys says, well, I'm going to have to dive in and see if I can find him down there. And he dives in, and he doesn't come up. 
And he finally, finally, the third guy's getting really nervous. You know, the, the guy comes up out of the water, and he's got Bob, you know, in his arm, and they get him wrangled into the boat. And the guy starts to give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And after just a few seconds, he comes up. He goes, whoa, man. He says, I don't remember Bob having that bad a breath. And the other guy says, well, I'll tell you what. I don't remember Bob wearing that snowmobile suit either. See, you, you have to be up north, I guess, to, to, to get that joke. I thought it was going to be a little funnier than that once again. I can relate to that story. My sister was literally almost killed on a snowmobile on Lake Michigan. It fell through the ice. They never recovered the thing. But the rescue operation was like something you'd see on TV. I mean, it was harrowing. And uh, guys stretched out on the ice to to get to her. And they finally, uh, anyway, she can relate to that story right there. We'll we'll just move on. Main point I want to begin with is this. If man can alter hopeless situations into situations with hope, just imagine what God can do if we put him in the middle of things in our life. Amen? The Bible teaches us that nothing is hopeless as soon as God gets involved. And when we involve God in our lives, even the most hopeless of situations can be reversed by a God who is in the business of giving us hope. All of our hope comes from God. I want to read this story uh, from Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. You've heard this many times probably. It's quite, I mean have to picture if this was you witnessing this in this story. It's just so mind-boggling. The hand of the Lord was, this is Ezekiel speaking, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I'll attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them. Skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Anybody going to be standing in shock at this point? Or maybe you have passed out just from the whole experience. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. 
I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. So Ezekiel, there he is in the middle of this vast field of old, dead, dry bones. And I mean, that is a pretty hopeless looking situation, isn't it? Ezekiel's early ministry was one of pretty harsh judgment on Israel for their constant rebellion. And he was, uh, as he was in captivity in Babylon with many of the Jews, uh, while he prophesied to them, the captives in Babylon, Jeremiah was prophesying to Jews in Israel. Both Jeremiah and Ezekiel told Israel that God's hand of judgment was going to be upon them because of their constant rebellion to God. And that they needed to just accept the punishment and turn from their sins. But we all know that Israel never fully turned from their sins. And so this cycled over and over again. So for many years, Ezekiel, these first seven years of his ministry, he was prophesying a very harsh life on Israel. And after about seven years of preaching judgment, hoping Israel would finally turn from their wicked ways, nothing happens. And Ezekiel goes basically silent for the next 13 years. And so you think, well, I mean, you know, what happened? It could very well have been that with Ezekiel, he had this sense of hopelessness. Like, man, it's just no use. These people are absolutely hopeless. I mean, seven years of warning has done nothing. These people are just hopeless. How many of you have ever had family or friends that you've been praying for because they are just lost as lost can be, and you're praying for them and you're praying for them, but you kind of think inside, I don't know, these people are pretty much hopeless. We pray for them in the front of our mind. In the back of our mind, we're thinking, these people are they're hopeless. Well, this message is about not giving up. It's a message about get God involved, and I'm telling you, hopeless things become filled with hope. So with this new message of hope, rather than judgment, he, maybe Israel would finally respond. My second point is this, hope is what people need in order to recover from life's painful situations. We've all had very painful situations in our life, and let's face it, the thing that gets us through is God's hope. That's what gets us through these things. I read this great story several years ago, actually, but I love this illustration. There was a teacher who was assigned to visit hospitals to do tutoring for children who were, had long-term care in hospitals. She receives a call one day to go visit this one particular child, so she gets his name and the room number, and she gets there to the, uh, to the hospital. The teacher had requested her to go and tutor this boy on his nouns and adverbs. He, she didn't want him to get way behind all the other students. So can you go help him with his nouns and adverbs? She says, fine. She gets outside his room and she realizes that she's in the hospital burn unit. And when she went into the room, she was not prepared for what she saw at all. And this poor young kid, he was just horribly burned. He was in such great pain. He seemed very depressed and on the verge of hopeless. And she said, I've been sent here to help you with your nouns and your adverbs so you're not far behind all the other kids. And she went about and did her business. And the next morning, she came for round two 
And a nurse stopped her as she was going into the room. She said, wait a minute, what did you, what on earth did you say to him yesterday? And she got all nervous, like, well, you know, what did I get him all depressed or something? She said, no, no, no. She says, we can't believe the difference we have seen since you were here yesterday. His whole attitude has changed. He's, he's fighting back. He's, he's, uh, he has a quest for life that he didn't have. And the boy later explained this. He said that he had pretty much given up hope until that teacher came into his room that day. And he said, you know, everything changed when she walked through that door because I don't think they would send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a boy they thought was going to die. That's offering hope, isn't it? What would seem absolutely hopeless to Ezekiel, which, let's face it, this had to seem hopeless. He's standing in the midst of this huge field, nothing but these old, dead, dry bones. That's pretty hopeless. It's no match for God and His power and His life, right? It's, it's important to note that when God shows Ezekiel this valley of dry bones, He plops him down right smack in the middle of it, not on the edge where he could just turn his back and just act like it wasn't real. Act like it's not my problem. No, he's right in the middle of it. No matter which direction he turns, it's hopeless. That's all he sees. This earthly perspective he had looks absolutely impossible. So it's no wonder when Ezekiel is asked by God, God says, can these bones live again? Ezekiel says, Lord, you alone know. That was a great answer, wasn't it? That's an incredible... I mean, this guy was thinking on his feet. Because I'm sure inside he's thinking, no. But he didn't say no. This is, this is like the birth of political correctness here. Oh, Lord, only you know the answer to that one. I'm not getting in the middle of this thing. Can these bones live again? That's great. I mean, that was really some sharp thinking, don't you think? Because Ezekiel, here was the deal, I think. This is what I, how I would interpret this whole situation. Ezekiel knows God too well to just say, no. Can these bones live again? <laughs> no. He knows not to tell God no. You know, he's, he's heard over and over in his life, nothing is impossible with God. How many of you heard that many times in your life? Nothing is impossible with God. Let me see those hands. Okay, put your hand down. How many of you been in impossible situations? You thought, but this is a goner. We all thought that, right? So he had too much uh, faith to say no. His, his faith in God's power just wouldn't allow him to just flat out say no. Even though I'm sure his human reasoning was saying... <laughs> There's no way these bones are coming to life. But believing that nothing is impossible with God, he gives this great answer. Oh, Lord, only you know that. You know, how many times have we responded to hopeless situations in our life like that? You know, we're, we're too scared not to have faith, but we're a little too logically minded to think that something impossible is really going to happen. I'm the only one that's been there. You know, you've been praying for some uh, situation that just seems impossible in life, and you have little, you know, you're, you're praying, but you're thinking, eh, isn't that going to work? 
And then all of a sudden, God answers it just the way you envision it. The miracle takes place. And the most shocked person in the world is you. Even though you are the one praying to God, you're the one. It really worked? I can't believe this. And then we all experience things like that, especially early on in our faith. But when these things start to happen time and time again in your life, your, your faith increases and your faith builds and it grows. And pretty soon, you're no longer shocked. You're living a life of expectancy. You know that when you pray, something's going to happen. God is going to answer. Maybe it won't. The answer won't be exactly the way we had it played in our mind, but he's going to answer and you have complete faith in that. So, I've also noticed this in life when it comes to having faith for the impossible. I have noticed that it's a lot easier to have faith for somebody else. Isn't it easier to have faith for somebody else? I mean, if you're walking through the woods with your friend and a rattlesnake, bang, bites him, and he's you know, screaming, and you go, oh, no, 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 I'm just going to lay, I'm going to pray for you, brother, and God is going to move, and, and uh, we're going to see a miracle happen. That's how we act. Unless the rattlesnake bites us. Ah! I'm in snake bit, man. I'm in snake bit. Well, I'm going to pray. I don't need prayer. I need antidote. I mean, come on, right? Right? When you're the one snake bit, yeah, okay, prayer's okay, but where's the antidote? That's, uh, I'd really like to get some of that in me right now. Go ahead and pray, but I want the antidote. Well, not to be confused with an anecdote. If you get snake bit, don't tell your friend, I need an anecdote. Well, you know, one day I was walking along this trail. It's a funny little story. I think you'll really enjoy this. I'm sorry. Sometimes I trail off. Antidote, anecdote, they're very similar, aren't they? Or as they say in Texas, similar. Again, I'm from up north. I don't know where the you suddenly showed up in the word similar, but I hear it all the time down here. And when I correct people, they don't seem to appreciate it all that much. <laughs> so anyway, that was all free. Ezekiel is told by God to do this very, very strange thing. Preach to these bones. I'm telling you, even to Ezekiel, this can't seem like an incredible solution here. Preach to these bones. You know, for seven years he'd been preaching and he didn't get any results. Thirteen more years has gone by. No change in Israel. So after 20 years, what point is there to just preach now, start preaching again to a bunch of dead, dry bones? I'm telling you, it's going to be hard to get motivated for that sermon right there. But this time, the message is going to be different, right? Instead of judgment, he is instructed, preach life to these dead bones. And it, it bodes the question, man, how badly does our world need to hear words of life? Now, something else that is noticeable in human nature is this. When people lose their hope, they cease to offer help. When people become hopeless, they're not motivated to offer help. We live in a day when a lot of people have lost hope, and in doing so, they lose the desire to help. Listen to these three examples I have. These are all three true stories. 
A woman was brutally attacked as she returned to her apartment one, late one night. She screamed and shrieked as she fought for her life, yelling until she was hoarse for over 30 minutes as she was abused and beaten. 38 people witnessed that they had heard screaming. Some actually saw some of the attack from their windows. Not so much as one walked to the phone and called the police. She died that night as 38 witnesses stared in silence. Riding on a subway, a 17-year-old youth was minding his own business when he was attacked and stabbed repeatedly by gang members. Eleven riders on the, on the subway watched the stabbing, but none came to assist the young man. Even after the gang had fled and the train had pulled out of the station, he lay there in a pool of his own blood. Not one of eleven came to his aid. A little less dramatic, a story of a woman in New York City while shopping on Fifth Avenue, downtown Manhattan. She fell and broke her leg. Dazed and anguished and in shock, she repeatedly called out for help, not for two minutes, not for 20 minutes, but for over 40 minutes as shoppers, business executives, students, and merchants walked around here, walked around her, literally stepped over her, completely ignoring her cries. Finally, a cab driver pulled over, got her into his taxi and took her to the local hospital. The world is standing by with very little hope, and because of that, they offer very little help. But God tells his people that we need to be standing by. We need to be willing to prophesy to the dead, to the dry bones. In other words, we need to be able to speak the word of God and word of hope, preaching life, preaching words of life. We as Christians, we're the only ones on planet earth that have the real message of hope. Nobody else has it but a true Christian. A true Christian, we are the only ones who know the actual source of help. And so getting back to our story, this time when Ezekiel preaches life to these bones, there's, man, there's this big rattling sound and these things all start popping and coming together and that had to be quite a sight, right? And there's this reaction this time to his preaching that he had never experienced earlier in his ministry. I mean, impressive, unbelievable things are happening. These bones are coming together. Flesh and muscle is growing on him. But it says that still wasn't complete. You notice that although there's now this vast field of human beings standing there, it says, but there was no breath in them. They were there, they were standing, they were just lifeless. And Ezekiel, he probably said, look at this. I'm preaching to them, but they're just these lifeless, motionless, breathless creatures. I feel his pain sometimes. Oh, look, that's the most life you've shown all morning for crying out loud. <laughs> hmm? Not this group? Oh, that, that's another. You want, you want to come up and finish this up? <laughs> that's not our church, yeah. No way is that our church. People are full of life at CT, amen? Yeah. I'm actually pretty impressed. <laughs> I'll have to insult you more often if you're going to react like that. 
<laughs> so, preaching alone wasn't enough. He'd already preached to the bones, right? That wasn't quite enough. It got things rattled up, but now Ezekiel is asked to prophesy to the breath. He had spoken to the dead, and now he is to speak to the giver of life. In other words, he is instructed to pray. You've preached, now I need you to pray. Preaching always needs to be accompanied by prayer. The word breath here in the Hebrew, it's the same word translated spirit, which is rausch. Ezekiel's speaking to the breath is, in other words, he is praying to the Spirit of God to enter these people. We can't just preach the Word. We can't just preach to people and leave it at that. We, that preaching is important, but it needs to be accompanied with prayer that God's Spirit will come alive in their heart. Because it's not our preaching that saves people. You know, if you pray with someone or you've been witnessing to someone and they accept Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, don't pat yourself on the back because you're so incredible. It was the Spirit of God that spoke into their heart through you. But the Spirit of God is what shows up and becomes real in people's lives through the Word. We have to be praying that, you know, just our preaching is not enough. We've got to be praying that God will speak into the hearts and lives of people, that their spiritual eyes will uh, become open to their need for Him. Amen? So, evangelism has to be more than simply proclaiming, or in other words, preaching the Word to the lost. We have to be praying for God's Spirit to move on those who hear the Word. Because you notice, it was not the preaching that brought the actual life back into them. It was the praying part that did that. Everybody noticed that, right? D.L. Moody had a great, great quote many years ago. He was alive in the late 1800s. Raise your hand if you're familiar with D.L. Moody. Great preacher, great evangelist. He founded Moody Bible Institute. Anyway, he had this quote which I think is incredible. He said, I'd rather be able to pray than be a great preacher. And he was a great preacher. He said, I'd rather be able to pray than be a great pre preacher because Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach, only how to pray. Pretty good, huh? I wish I'd have said that. But it was D.L. Moody. So after speaking to the breath, life happens in these long, dead bones. And it raises the question, what is your life like today? What is your prayer life today? We need the Word, but we need prayer to accompany the Word. The difference between looking alive and being alive is the prayer. You know, even some of the world's greatest minds came to know the powerful truth that prayer is what draws God's life into our hearts and our minds. And for an example, I will use the brilliant scientist Sir Isaac Newton. Does that name ring a bell? Sir, kids, does that name ring a bell? Sir Isaac Newton? Uh, thank you for paying attention in school. Listen, Sir Isaac Newton came up with all kinds of innovative theories, concepts, and, and, and uh, just all kinds of amazing scientific fact. He invented calculus. Did you know that? He and one other guy working together invented calculus. I don't know a lot about calculus because I wasn't that good in math. 
Never took calculus, never took trigonometry. I did algebra and geometry and had enough trouble there. I thought, no, this is enough math. So, calculus and trigonometry, I, I don't even understand it. My daughter, however, teaches trig trigonometry and calculus. And here the old man doesn't know a thing about it. So Janet was good at math, so apparently she gets that from Janet. But Sir Isaac Newton, he said that he could take his telescope and look millions of miles into space. But then he added, but when I lay it aside, I go into my room, shut the door, and get down on my knees in prayer, I see more of heaven and feel closer to God than if I were assisted by all the telescopes on earth. Pretty, uh, pretty amazing words coming from a man of science, right? He knew what science was really about. That's another sermon. As Ezekiel speaks to the Spirit, there's this movement of these corpses on the ground. They just start snapping together, and pretty soon they're just a standing, breathing army surrounding him. Now, most of us would have passed out by this point, right? I mean, it's just amazing. We read the story, and so, you know, we've heard it a hundred times, and we get kind of numb to it. I'm telling you, put yourself in the place of this thing, and most of us might have just been freaking out, right? This is quite a story here. But what a different scene from the Valley of Dry Bones. Now there's this army standing, ready to take on the world. And that brings me to this last point. God's plan is to put His Holy Spirit into his people. He wants us to be people of the Spirit, not people of the world. We have to be people of the Spirit, not people of the world. The hopeless, impossible scene that was reflected uh, in this earlier ministry of Ezekiel's, where he saw, he saw no results whatsoever. But now it was very, very different because he had prophesied to the bones. He had preached God's word. And because he prophesied to the breath, he prayed to God. What he had done was he combined faith and action. It's great to have faith. Faith alone won't cut it. It's great to take action. But listen, just taking action alone is not going to cut it. It requires faith and action. He had to do more than just believe. He had to act also. There's a story that is uh, told as a true story that took place many, many years ago in a small New England town. The pastor of this church, he told the congregation, he said that they were experiencing an incredible drought. And these were all farmers. And it was, everybody was about to lose everything. He said, there's nothing that's going to save us except a miracle from God. He says, this week, go to your homes, fast, pray, believe, and come back next Sunday morning expecting a miracle of rain. That's what he said. So they're all hopped up, and they go home, and they, you know, they're praying, and they're fasting. And they come back to church. As they're coming back to church the following Sunday, because they're all uh, expecting this miracle of rain, the, the pastor sees him coming and he gets angry. He said, listen, you can all just go home. We're not even going to have a service today because none of you believe. They said, what do you mean we don't believe? We, we prayed, we fasted, we believe. He said, oh, you believe. Then where are your umbrellas? Now, don't beat me to my own stories, okay? 
I work alone up here. If I get stuck, I'll call upon you. Oh, let's see. What was the end of this story? Umbrellas. Umbrellas. Thank you, Esther. Umbrellas. (laughs) I'm just kidding. She had it figured out already. Now, yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. If, if, you, if, if, if you guys had come to church this morning and you had all heard that right around noon we're going to be expecting torrential downpours, most of you would have umbrellas with you, right? Because we have faith in the, in the weatherman. <laughs> it's almost, it's ironic slash sad that we can have more faith in the weatherman than we have in God sometimes, right? Because we all know how fallible the weatherman is. There's a lot of truth in that story. When you combine prayer and action, there is no such thing as a hopeless situation. If God could raise this entire nation back to life after being dead for so long, man, what can He do with the people that are walking around dead right in front of us every day? They're dead because they have no hope. They feel lost. They feel completely helpless and hopeless. They need life spoken into them. They need hope placed into their heart. Who's going to do that? Only a Christian can do that. They can go to psychiatric treatment from now till kingdom comes until God places hope in their life. They're not going to be right. All the counseling in the world can't give us godly hope and godly understanding. And if God can remedy hopeless situations way back then, I'm telling you, He can still do it today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the truth. So what would happen to our nation uh, or a state, a neighborhood, a family, even a single individual, if we begin to proclaim a living God and we act like we really believe it? Well, it it would turn things upside down. But this morning, I'll ask you this question. What hopeless situation might you be facing today? You've got a mountain in front of you, and you feel like there's no getting across this thing. Let God begin to show you what He can do. Put Him in the middle of it. Ezekiel, he looked at the backslidden nation. He didn't see any hope whatsoever. And in the midst of what seemed impossible, God comes and He gives hope and help and He revives His people. God wants to revive all of His people. And renewal comes from two things only. It comes from the Word and from prayer. That's where renewal comes from in our life. That's where hope comes from. His Word combined with prayer. The deadest place and the deadest person, the most hopeless situation, can literally just come alive with God's help. Do you believe that this morning? My challenge is to keep hope alive in your spirit through His Word and through prayer. There's no hopeless situation when God gets involved. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.